How you doing? Good, good. Was anybody here last week for Rabbi? Yeah, how was he? Isn't he awesome? He really is good. Yeah. Yeah. I have a meeting with him on Sunday afternoon. Talk to him about teaching more and stuff like that. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, anyway, hey, let's pray, and then we're going to get started. And uh, we will go. Uh, I actually gave you two, day, two weeks' worth of material, so that's not all tonight. If you're looking at it going, really? Seriously? Uh, it's not, okay? Huh? I know. I know there's a lot there. Um, anyway, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, God, that we can study the Word of God. And, Father, that we can be enriched in every way. We can grow up in you as you tell us to do and in all things, Father, that we can flourish and be like that. Uh, the psalmist described the man in Psalm 1 uh, where, where we really just prosper in, in the way and we yield our fruit in all season. So, God, as we, uh, as we say tonight, we just pray that you will guide us and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want you to uh, just take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 21, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. And then we're going to, uh, if you've got, if you can mark that place, go over to John 15, okay? So we're going to look at those two. Um, it really kind of hit me in recent days, this whole concept of persecution, um, because, you know, that's really what the Heavenly Man book is about. It's about this relationship you have in the midst of a lot of struggle, a lot of difficulty, right? And, you know, one of the things that, if you kind of remember Corey Stark with House of Prayer, one of the things that House of Prayer was built on is that principle that you need to create a safe spiritual place where you can be protected as Noah was protected in the ark from the flood. And so that's kind of the principle of it, and, and really that whole theology that drives uh, much of what happens in Kansas City is that, that idea of persecution. So I got to thinking about it. I thought, you know, there is a doctrine of persecution. And the word doctrine literally just means a teaching, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of time and uh, we'll look at, there's a, I mean, there's probably 100 scriptures here. We're not going to look at them all, okay? But you can look at them anytime you want. How's that? And it may not be like the funnest subject in the world until you see the glory side of it. You know, the Bible says if we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified with him. So there's a promise, isn't it? And when we look at the life of Jesus, how he lived out his life and what he did, what he experienced, it was a life of persecution, right? Okay? And finally, crucifixion. All right, so let's look at John 15 first and just kind of see what Jesus has to say on the subject. Remember the word that I said to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. So it's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, if you're the disciples and he's just given, you know, in the first uh, couple of verses there, he's just giving you this great talk on abide in me and let my words abide in you. And you're going, wow, I love being a, I love being a Jesus follower. And then he all of a sudden he drops this stuff on you. You know, he drops it on, you know what, they hate me, they're going to hate you. And isn't it funny, have you ever been shocked or just can't believe it or surprised when people, you know, say something to you that's clearly 
you know, not the pursuing kind of beat you up, kill you persecution, but the one that just is not tolerant toward you, but they want you to be tolerant toward everybody. Have you ever just kind of had that moment where you go, really? Really? All I put up with you in this office, in my life, you in my world, and you're, you're saying that, you know? It's kind of like during a fast, uh, you know, we're on, I don't know what day it is, but it's, it's plenty far into it for me. Um, you know, and I'm, uh, yeah, I know, and, I, and I, I have break fast at 5, you know? I break the fast at 5 o'clock. That's what I do, but I don't always get to eat at 5, so like tonight, I'll eat afterwards, you know? So sometimes it goes a little bit longer, but if you can hang in there, it kind of benefits you a little bit in the morning, right? It's supposed to, and I get up in the morning, I go, yes, I'm hungry. Um, and I was just praying about it, you know, today. I was thinking about just being hungry, being a little lightheaded, being unable to focus. And I was working. I took this morning, took about four hours just to write on this book I'm working on. And I'm sitting there going, God, I, I have to have this so much done today, but I'm so lightheaded I can't focus, right? And, and I was thinking about people that are really in the, in the midst of persecution, and I was thinking about this talk tonight on the doctrine of persecution. So what I want to do is keep your Bible marked to that, that Matthew uh, passage I gave you, uh, chapter 21. We'll come to it in just a minute. Let's look at the definition. Let's look at what does it mean to be persecuted, okay? And the first one is just simply a dictionary English definition. What does it mean? It means to oppress, harass with ill treatment, to treat someone extremely badly, or to refuse them equal rights, especially because of their race, religion, or political beliefs to frequently or, or persistently annoy or threaten someone, even of death. Okay, that's a, that's a pretty good picture. Let's go to what it means in the Greek, and then there's a number of verses there that uh, you can check out. And it simply means uh, persecution. Its root word is to put to flight or to pursue. So the idea in persecution, you're not persecuted if you stand. You're persecuted if you flee. Isn't that interesting? It's a little different twist, isn't it? Because typically we think persecution is when you tell me something and, you, and, then, and, you know, and you, you're offensive to me. But the idea is it means to put to flight or to pursue. So if technically I could say I'm not persecuted if I stand my ground on my faith in the midst of persecution, difficulty, or struggle. And by implication, it means persecution. It's used in a number of different ways, and there, there's some references there for it. Um, let's go to it in the Hebrew, see what it means in the Hebrew. The Hebrew uh, is the equivalent of um, this word, meaning uh, radaf, which means to pursue, chase, or persecute. And it's technically equivalent to the Greek word. So the idea of pursuing. So when we look at the Middle East today, would you say there's persecution? Absolutely, right? Absolutely. I mean, no doubt about it. What makes that persecution? Yeah, they're standing, and, and it's costing them something, right? But in, and largely, there's what? There's this, there's this great just fleeing of their homeland, and that really is a, a evidence of persecution, isn't it? And they're fleeing because why? The threat of death. Threat of death comes not because they're you know, they're uh, citizens of that country. The threat comes because they're proclaiming Christ. And it wasn't too long ago in the school, the school shooting was at in Oregon where the shooter lined him up against the wall and said, if you're a, are you a Christian? He would shoot them in the head. If you, were, if you didn't say anything or you denied, you know, that you were, he'd shot you, shot you in the leg. 
clearly persecution, right? Threat of life, okay, going on there. So let's look at some kind of big topics here. Why are believers persecuted? And we're going to look at these, and I'm going to take you back to Matthew 21. Well, first time is refusing to conform to popular behavior. I mean, would you say that would sometimes be persecuted? Oh, come on, why don't you just, everybody's doing that. You're a Christian? Well, you know, that's stupid. You know, if you're a Christian, you know, I'm sure God will forgive you. But have you ever noticed the opposite of it? Let's suppose that you listen to that, you conform to their behavior, then what do they say to you? Exactly. Okay, so persecution of the Christian goes both ways. If I refuse, I'm persecuted. If I conform, I'm persecuted. Isn't that interesting? It just it doesn't matter which way you go. You're going to be in the hot seat if, you're, if you make any kind of representation for Christ. You're going to be in the hot seat uh, because of Christ. Um, let's just, uh, somebody take your, well, let's, let, we can all do this. Let's take our Bibles and go over to um, 2 Peter chapter 2, okay? 2 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to look at uh, verses 7 and 8, if I got the right ones here. Okay? And this is, uh, this, by the way, is, uh, is also a reference to the the Genesis passage is there. So this is just the New Testament reference to it. So 2 Peter chapter 2, got it, it's on page 309. I know nobody has my Bible, so I know you, that didn't help you a bit, right? I brought my old King James Bible tonight, wide margin that I've had for a while. I've had it recovered once. But here's what it says, 2 Peter chapter 2, and said, and delivered just Lot, vexed, I love that old King James word, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. All right? So what did God do? God delivered Lot. Why did he deliver Lot? Was he a perfect man? No, he wasn't a perfect man at all. Right? But God delivered him why? Because he was a righteous man. And in the midst of it, so what, it, what happened? You remember, anybody remember where Lot lived? Yeah, God, uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And so God says, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to destroy it. And so God comes, sends an angel, right, and gets them out of town. And what happens to Lot's wife? Anybody remember that? Turned around, turned into a pillar of salt. Okay, that'll fix you. Why? Why did that happen? I mean, first of all, you're trying to figure out how does that work, right? I mean, that's my first thought when I read it. I go, how does that work? How does a person, what does a person look like if they're a pillar of salt? Okay, but why did it happen? Just kind of shout it out if you think you know. Huh? What? She was, how was she disobedient? Not to look back. Doesn't that seem a little unreasonable? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and, but it, doesn't it seem like the punishment and the crime don't match? Because let's think about Lot. What did Lot do when the angel came to the door and the men of the city wanted the angel? He offered her da his daughter. 
These guys were coming to sodomize these men, these angels. And so Lot says, you know, don't touch the angels, but you can have my virgin daughter. And these guys were so corrupt, they said, we don't want the virgin daughter. Forget it. We're not into girls. That's really what was happening. We want the angels. We've never seen six magnificent men in our life. Send them out. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems worthy of pillar of salt stuff. Doesn't it? I mean, seriously? I think he should have got the salt treatment. She should have got out of town free. But what was there in that looking back? There's something there, wasn't there? A longing. She was in love with the world. She was in love with Sodom. She loved Sodom, the city, more than she loved escaping from the wicked city. And, you know, it's, it's a great principle, isn't it? What, what is it that, you know, I mean, I'm sure some people who profess to be Christians in, in the Middle East, and maybe they truly, truly are, but they deny Christ and they go, yeah, I'm not a Christian, you know, to try to spare life. And I, I'm not critical of them at all. But, you know, um, what is it inside of us that is so in love with this place that makes us not want to deny our faith? And I'll tell you, do you know what you would say in the, in the midst of that kind of struggle? I mean, somebody says, deny Christ or I'm going to kill you. I think everyone in this room would go, I'll just, just kill me then. But when push comes to shove, you're going, oh, my gosh, God. Do, I mean, you, you know there's some inner turmoil going on. And I really believe that I would say, hey, I'm denying Christ, right? But I can guarantee you, oh, human Phil was trying to hold on and figure a way out of, out of that situation. Amen? Right? Okay, so persecution. Okay, another reason is being a spokesman of biblical truth in the face of social evils. You know, when you stand for anything, uh, just go over to Hebrews. You can just uh, turn over a couple of pages there. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 32 through 38. And here it says in Hebrews 11, it says this, And what shall we, more shall we say? For, what t- for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of uh, Jetheth, of David also, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed, I love that word, waxed valiant in flight, turned to flight the armies of, of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life, and others were tortured not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Okay? So all those, you know, all those people there that are listed, they're kind of in this, like, God's hall of faith, right? We could say God's hall of fame, God's hall of faith. And they say, we're not going to deny the faith. We're going to stand for God in the middle of all of this. Okay? Third reason here we've got, refusing to obey laws that cause one to disobey God. So Daniel chapter 6, you remember that story? Daniel um, would not bow down to what the king wanted. He would not bow down to, to denying or worshiping the idol. And he's, you're going, in the, you're going in, the, you know, in the lion's den. Yeah, that's fine. You decide what's right. Um, but we're, we're not going to play that game. And so what happens is God delivered him. What would have happened if God hadn't delivered him? Would the story still be as good? I think the story's pretty good either way, don't you? 
Because what's, it, what's the story really about? About deliverance or standing? Yeah, it is about both, but ultimately, what's more powerful, being delivered or standing? Standing. Because let's face it, most of the people they're talking about here that we just read about, they weren't delivered, right? A lot of them, it says, they were tortured, not accepting deliverance. So standing is the key, isn't it? And, you know, we get a chance to stand probably... I'm going to say every day, but at least sometime during the week, somebody's going to, you're going to have a situation where you can talk about Christ, you know, or somebody's going to ask you about Christ, and the power comes in standing. Let's go to Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 21. I love this little section here. If you've got, uh, got some notes, you might want to jot them down because this is a, this is a parable, or, or a story rather, that you can really tie to specific people and situations because it's painting a picture for you. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 33. Here another parable. There was a certain householder. Okay, so I'm gonna, we're going to just kind of identify some of these people here. Who's the householder? God is the householder. So just write down God. There was a certain householder, God, who planted a vineyard. Who's the vineyard? Huh? Israel is the, Israel's definitely the vineyard. Okay. Planted a vineyard hedged it about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen who went into a far country. So who are the husbandmen? Who are the men that were in charge of the vineyard? Huh? Guards? Okay, who else? What kind of guards? Yeah, they served as a guard. That's true. They were the religious leaders, Right? You're in charge of the vineyard. Here's the religious leaders. In the New Testament, we'd call them what? Sadducees and Pharisees? Okay, so the religious leaders, you're in charge of, of, of the vineyard. You're going to take care of Israel, right? That's what he's saying. Now watch this. And, and he, who's that? Who's he? God went into the far country. What's the far country? Heaven. Now watch what's going on here. Let me just read it that way. Okay, there was uh, God planted a vineyard. Uh, and the vineyard was really the nation of Israel. He edged it about. He digged a wine press. In other words, he was expecting a good crop. He built a tower, and then he gave it to the religious leaders, and he said, I'm going to go to heaven, and while I'm in heaven, you take care of, of Israel, would you? Would you minister to them? Would you preach to them? Would you guide them? Would you do all those kind of things? And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants. Okay, who are the servants? Prophets, right? Religious leaders, okay? And look what happens. He sent his servants to the husbandmen, so he sent his prophets to the religious leaders that they might receive the fruits of it. And when the husbandmen, that is the religious leaders, took his servants and beat one. So all of a sudden the prophet shows up and and he gets beat up by the religious leaders, if you want to know who that is, I'm going to give it to you. It's 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 24. It's Micaiah. And he was a prophet who came, and he got beat up by the religious leaders. And then it says, and killed one, killed another. That was Urijah. That's U-R-I-J-A-H. Okay. And that's Jeremiah chapter 26 and verse 23. And stoned one. All right. And that's Zechariah, 2 Chronicles chapter 24. 
And again, he sent another servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. Okay, so other servants would be more of the prophets like Micah, Joel, Obadiah, Ezekiel, etc. He's sending all these prophets. He said, hear the word of the Lord, hear the word of the Lord. And so look what he says. And, they, and, and it says, and they did likewise to them. But at last of all, he sent his son. Who's that? Jesus. Saying, they will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen, that is a religious leader, saw the son, that is Jesus, they said unto themselves, this is the heir to come. Let us kill him and let us seize his inheritance. What would be the inheritance of the son? What did Jesus come and preach? gospel what else the kingdom we don't want to give the kingdom over to the son we're going to king that keep the kingdom for ourselves, right and and that transition happened in actually matthew chapter 12 when he turns from the, the the jews and he turns to the gentiles and so all of a sudden it says and they caught him and they cast him out of the vineyard they rejected him as king right and, uh, and it says, when the Lord, therefore, the, uh, the vineyard comes, what will he do to those religious leaders? You see how this opens it up when you start to kind of look at it historically? And they say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard to another husbandman. You know who that is? The Gentiles. He's taking the kingdom from the Jews. He's giving it to the Gentiles, to you. And he says, I want you to manage the kingdom. Are you willing to manage the kingdom? That's really what he's saying. And it says, um, and, and it says, which shall render him fruits in their season. In other words, what are we supposed to do? Bear fruit. Jesus said unto them, did you never read the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner, um, and, and this is the Lord's doing, is marvelous in his eyes. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, Israel, given to a nation, bringing forth fruits thereof. Wow. So God took persecution. What did he do? Just guess. Yeah, he generated fruit. He did, didn't he? He said, you won't do it, I'll give it to somebody else. You ever been on a job like that? Somebody won't get it done, said, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to give it to somebody else, or I'm going to do it myself. Right? That's what God said. You won't do it, I'll do it myself. I'll just take it over. Okay, let's think about it. If you don't take care of the kingdom, God won't give you kingdom power. That's really the application. If you don't take care of the kingdom, you don't get kingdom power. If you don't endure persecution, you don't get the glory that follows. If you, those who suffer with me shall also be glorified with me, the Bible says. Okay? All right, let's, let's look a little bit further here. The source of persecution. I'm going quicker than I thought. All those verses looked like a lot, didn't they? Okay, first one is the world system. What's the world system? Okay, so turn to somebody next to you and tell them what the world system is. Okay? What do you think the world system is? Who are you talking to over there? You're talking to yourself, right? What is the world system?
Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. So he's talking about a system here that controls what we see, how we feel, and how we act. And it said, you know, don't let that world system shape you, right? And so what happens is persecution is going to come from the world system. You know, and we tend to, you know, we tend to want to focus in on a person, right? We say, well, that person persecuted me or they're, they're, you know, they're not tolerant toward my Christian faith. That's true. But what's behind that? That's what you have to remember. One thing behind that is the world system. They're living in a world you know, I like to put it like this. As Christians, we're twice-born people living in a once-born world. Right? We're twice-born people living in a once-born world. So people don't understand, they don't relate to this concept of born again, of the kingdom of God is within you. So the world system that they're a part of, and they don't even know they're part of it. It's like being, I mean, have you ever wondered about like fish in an aquarium? What do they think? Do they think they're in the ocean, or do they think they're in an aquarium? Or do they even know? Do they even care? I'm going to tell you that people in this world apart from Christ, they don't know and they don't care where they are. It's not about, you know, like, am I in the ocean or the aquarium? I don't care. I just want to have a good time. I just want to make some money. I want to do da-da-da-da, whatever, right? I don't care. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right? Yep. Yeah, and, and the reality is they already are. See, they already are. The the world system already controls everyone who doesn't know Christ. All it's going to do is just take it to a higher level. Right now, we too, right, are shaped in some ways by the world system as as Christians. We're shaped by some degree. Let's look what else is behind. Not just the world system, but evil spiritual powers are in warfare against believers. Anybody here ever experienced what they believe to be a direct attack by evil spirits? Oh, I mean, if you haven't, you, you know, you may think, I don't know what that was, but it wasn't good, right? So, you know, this week we had kind of an interesting thing happen. I made reference to it, but, um, but Facebook shut down all of our church Facebook pages. The main page, the women of influence, the students, um, I, I think the children probably got nabbed too, every single one of them gone. And that's about, we probably have 150,000 likes if you put all those together, right? Took us about three years to get there. So they just shut it down. So if you like type in Influence Church, it won't even pop up. If you try to go to it, it won't, you won't find it. So I'm thinking, what in the world? And so I don't know what's going on. So, you know, they have this little thing, you can, you know, you can appeal it. So I, I say, I don't know what what you're talking about. I know what's going on here. And so it comes back that, um, oh, yes, um, you didn't have good user experience, therefore, 
and there is no appeal process, and it's not coming back. So everything that was on there, I can see it because I'm an administrator. Everything that's on there is basically gone to the public, and every one of those 58,000 likes on the main page are gone, just completely gone. So there's a guy I know that does all this social media stuff down in Florida, and I email him, and, I, and he's a Christian, and, uh, and he's really kind of in this whole world of social media and Facebook, and, and he's a pretty solid guy. He's actually a preacher, but uh, he has a social media company. So I said, Paul, what is going on? Can you help me with this? I mean, I, I mean, he said, they shut down my personal profile because I took a stand against homosexuality. He said, my whole Facebook page is gone. And I said, so do you think this has something to do more with Christianity than it does to have to do with user experience or not being tolerant person? He said, absolutely. Absolutely. And he said, you know, Phil, if you think about it, you got 58,000 posts. You're posting stuff about prayer, about Christ. All this stuff is going on like crazy, and you're doing it on a regular basis. You know, and you're, you're affecting a lot of people. He said, I think we're going to see more of it. And I thought, wow, I guess that's persecution, isn't it? So last night, now I don't know if you remember this, but I fell downstairs in December, end of December, and hyperextended my knee. Pain was so great it would have killed an ordinary man, right? But anyway, but I hyperextended my knee, and it was just like really painful, right? But the left knee survived. It was great and everything else. So last night I was doing some studying, and I was, I was kind of working on this book, The Mystery of Lawlessness. And I go to get in bed, and I'm telling you, my knee, not my bad one, my good one, I couldn't even move. I literally could not move. I'm going, what the heck is going on? That knee's fine. That's my good knees, you know? I'm not going to have a leg to stand on, right? But anyway, um, see, you know, and I'm thinking, what is going on? And I literally laid in bed, and I turn. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm like this all night long. I get like five minutes. I'm like, I'm like those hot dogs at 7-Eleven. You know, I'm just like, like yeah, I just keep spinning. You know, I, I'm, I'm not laying in that place no long, very long. And I, and I literally laid there, and I could not move. And I'm thinking, I don't know what that's all about, but I'm just going to lay here and go to sleep. Woke up, you know, pretty early this morning. And uh, said good morning to Tammy, and I said, "How you doing?" She goes, "I don't know what happened last night. I've never had a migraine headache in my life, and I had a migraine headache. I didn't even know what it was. I was hurting so bad. So why didn't you wake me? So well, what good are you going to do?" And I said, "Thank you for not waking me." And um, but why did those two things happen on that night? Why did the Facebook thing happen? You know, and I and you look at it and you go, "It's almost like the Holy Spirit goes, hey, dummy, you're fasting.'" You're breaking spiritual powers up you don't even know about. You're in the middle of a battle whether you know it or not. You know, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not the kind of guy that just ascribes a bad knee or, or you know, something like a, like a headache to enemy attack. But that knee had no pain. That knee has never had pain. That knee didn't, I didn't hurt, fall, jump, leap, anything. And Tammy never gets a migraine headache. Yeah, Lisa. Well, and I think, you know, if you stop and think about it, I mean, all of us are in a spiritual battle all the time, are we not? But it does intensify sometimes. 
right? Um, sometimes it's persistent, you know, for long periods of time. Sometimes it's just sporadic and just, uh, you know, kind of hits us in unpredictable times. But there's got to be a reason why God said put on the whole armor of God, right? I mean, doesn't it kind of make sense? Why did he tell us to do that if we don't need it? And I'm going to tell you this. I can't really, I'd love to be able to tell you for the last 30 days or just the last days of the fast, every day I got up and I, and, and I went through the full armor of God and placing it on. I, I, maybe I've done it twice. Right? Why would I not? Now, I pray every day. I read scripture every day. But it's not like you go, okay, God, today I'm getting up. I'm putting on the armor. I'm putting on the helmet of my salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going through this process. Why don't I do that? Because the world system tells me I don't need to. Right? I'm doing okay. That's part of the world system, is it not? You don't need to go through that process. That's a little bit, don't you think, God, you already have the armor on? Just by virtue of being a Christian? I mean, that's, that's what goes on in my head sometimes. I'm telling you what, I put some armor on today. Amen? I put some armor on. I said, heck with this, I'm putting some armor on. So I think what we have to do is we have to, we almost have to exercise. It's kind of like what I talked about if you were here Sunday about the, the yoke, the, you know, the, the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. It's what you do every day to build up strength that gives you the anointing to break the yoke that Satan has over us. And he does. He's never going to win. He's not more powerful than God, but he can sure make life miserable for us. Amen? All right. Okay. Satan, here's the third thing. Satan is the arch persecutor of the church. Who's going to persecute the church? Satan and his demonic forces. Why? Because it's the only hope of the world, is it not? Give me something that's the hope of the world if it's not the church. What is it? Is it education? You know, is it government? Is it medicine? That's not the hope of the, of the world. The, hope, the only hope of the world is the church. We're the only one that are given this task to redeem people from separation from God is, is the message the church has, the believers have, right? So what's he going to do? He's going to persecute the church. Um, hostile earthly governments. Hostile earthly governments, another, another source of this persecution that comes. Um, they estimate, I just read this, um, there's, there's a couple of really good sites like... Um, the persecuted Christian sites, something like that, and I can't remember exactly what the URL is, but um, they estimate that about 65% of all the governments of the world are antagonistic, not tolerant, but antagonistic against Christianity. Okay, if that's true, now let's just do that. Let's do the math. Seven billion people, 65% of seven billion people is what? Four and a half billion people. Okay, it's four and a half to five billion people are not being tolerated. In fact, they're being, there's a hostility toward their religion. We're seeing it in America today like never before, aren't we? I mean, seriously, when you see this, just the Syrian refugees, and I'm, I'm not against Syrian refugees. That's not my position. But I'm against when you clearly delineate and don't let Christian refugees from Syria come into America, but you let Muslim. And that's what's happening. It's going on right now. What sense does that make? I don't know if you saw this uh, global police force. Did you see this? Uh, it's just amazing. Uh, Obama 
got together with the UN, made this speech about creating a global police force for the cities of America using UN troops. Now let's, let's put this in perspective. So you want an army you control that are not Americans to patrol the streets of America. Foreign soldiers on our land. Do we not have enough soldiers? So it went to Congress. Oh, by the way, this is one of the things I posted. This may not have helped me. Um, I just remembered it. Uh, one of the things I posted on there was, um, so that went to Congress. And every Democratic congressman voted for us to have that. Every single one. Not one Republican voted for us to have that. Now, can you imagine... You go downtown L.A., and here's U.N. forces with the blue helmet on, carrying a rifle, and they're ready for civil unrest. What's going on? There's something happening, right? There's something happening. So there's a hostility of government toward Christianity. Religious authorities, how about that one? Okay, who is it that's taken a really hard stand against, um, uh, against Israel and Jews? What religious denomination? Anybody know? Presbyterians have. The Lutherans are really strong, really anti-Semitic. Okay. What else? Anybody else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That's coming. What and what else? Yeah, the the people who proclaim the name of Christ, they they persecute, right? So there's a hostility of religious authorities against it. Um Roman Catholic Church. Really big came out recently against Israel. Okay? You know, and yeah, and so um, you know, they're because they're pro-Palestinian. They want they want Palestine, and they're basically saying, "Give up more land, give up more land." And and here's the the interesting thing about this. Think about this: Israel owns less than one tenth of one percent of all the land in the Middle East. Now think about that: less than one tenth of one percent of all the land in the Middle East. Okay, and that's too much. And yet, Iran, Syria, let's kind of go around the horn here, Egypt, um, all of these different, Jordan, nobody's offered to give up any land to establish a Palestinian state. Why? Because what you've got, you got to remember is the real issue that is going on is, has nothing to do with people's rights or, 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 or you know, um, politics. It's a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle. You realize there's only one city on, on planet Earth that God said is his. It's Jerusalem. That's, he said, that's mine. That doesn't belong to the Jews. Doesn't belong to Palestinians. Doesn't belong to America. Belongs to me. Right? Me. Okay, religious authorities. Family and friends. Anybody ever had family and friends persecute you for your faith? There you go. 
Yeah. And, you know, it, it's especially hard if it's within your own household, isn't it? I mean, because, you know, you kind of expect, like, gosh, the people I live with or I'm related to, they're going to they're gonna be tolerant or loving or kind or something toward my belief system. And yet, what did Jesus say? You remember what he said about your family and your friends? Anybody remember that? They're going to turn against you. And who will be your, your mother, your father, your brothers, and your sisters? Those not of your own household. Wow. He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword to your household. In other words, if you follow me, you've you got to know something. This is not going to always go well. That's really what he was saying. Are you willing to pay that price? Are you willing to stand for, for your faith, even when your household? How about this? So the family and friend rejection and even the hometown is so powerful of a force against you that Jesus, instead of Jesus, he did not do many mighty works in his own hometown because of their what? Unbelief. What does that have to do with him working and doing miracles? Why is their unbelief affecting his ability to do miracles? Huh? Oppressive, yeah, an oppressive environment. So if we have a situation where, where in Jesus' hometown there's so much force against it that miracles cannot break loose, even with Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that shocking? That you can be in an environment of people that are so hostile against God that you don't see the miraculous hand of God. It doesn't matter how much faith you have. Isn't that interesting? It just it squelches. It's almost like you're like in a black hole. You know, there's, that, there's more gravity in a black hole, and so it's just sucking all the light into this black hole, and that's what's happening in those kind of oppressive environments. And they can be a workplace. They can be in your home. They can be in your neighborhood. They can be in a church. They can be anywhere. An example of that would be somebody told us just the other day, I can't remember who it was, but said, um, yeah, I, I grew up in a church, and everybody said that all the, there are no miracles anymore. Well, uh, and, and there, we don't have any miracles in our church. Well, why, why wouldn't they? Same principle, right? Same principle. It's almost like what you elevate, God honors. You elevate the miraculous, it's like God comes through. You know, you elevate uh, holiness, God comes through. You elevate love, God comes through. He ele- you know, he just, he'll say, let me show you what I'm going to do. You elevate that, I'm going to meet that right where it is. In your own personal life, the same way. We always, that's why, it's, you know, the words of our mouth should always be good and life-giving, right? Why? Because God's going to honor that. It's kind of like, well, I don't believe in miracles. Well, you won't see any then. You don't have to worry about that. God will be glad to accommodate that, Right? And I've watched in seasons of this church, when I've talked more about the miraculous, we see more of the miraculous. Have you noticed that? And when I, when I talk about something else, we don't see that. And so the answer is what? Talk about all the good stuff you want to see happening all the time, so you have those things coming at you all the time. Amen? Okay. Um, let's see here. Let me... Um, what time is it here? I'm not going to... I'm gonna, I'm gonna Get you out early tonight because I'm tired. Is that okay? I'm like I'm like fasting tired. Anybody else fasting tired? 
Any, is any is is everyone fasting something or, or is yeah got something going on? Okay, great. Uh, I just want to be suffering with you. That's all I'm saying. Is that okay? Um, would you go to um, just? I don't know if my pages are the same as yours, but would you go to Matthew five ten? It's uh, after number four. I just want to I want to take you to that scripture real quick. Have you found it? I know it's we don't have the same pages because I have page five. It says, blessed are those who have been persecuted. Got that? Everybody with me? Or you can turn in your Bible either way. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, it's a, it's a really... It's kind of a comforting scripture, isn't it? Doesn't it kind of make you feel good? Doesn't it make it feel like you're part of something bigger than you? I, I want, he says, I want you to be happy. That's what the word blessed means. I want you to be happy, okay, when you've been persecuted. Not because you enjoyed the difficulty or the problem, but because it, it's it, when you stand for something, it is a demonstration of righteousness. And, and I want you to know that that's the kind of people that inhabit the kingdom of God, of God or kingdom of heaven. That's the kind of person you are. You're a kingdom person. So persecution is evidence of kingdom citizenship. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. Okay? Would, could you smile about that instead of getting so depressed, is what he's saying? Would you not take it so hard? Because there's, some, there's a benefit that goes with this too. And I want you to learn how to rejoice in difficulty because difficulty will come. Now, we pray it doesn't come all the time. We pray it doesn't come in very difficult ways for any of us. But it says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. And falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I mean, take your Bible and let's see here. Let's go to um, let's go over to Second Timothy chapter three. I think that'll I think that'll be the right neighborhood. Second Timothy chapter three. You know what's really interesting about the Word of God is the book of the the these are called the pastoral epistles. When you're in like Timothy and Titus, they're the idea is they're called pastoral because they're like written to um, to a pastor to try to help him understand how to best function within his church, right? And we benefit from them because they're rich and and they have all kinds of good, cool stuff in them. But you know what's really woven in between the books of uh, Timothy and Titus is the doctrine, the doctrine of suffering. That's not a doctrine you kind of like to study, right? Oh, great, the doctrine of suffering. Oh, brother. Okay? But it is because he says, you know, you, you, he says, Timothy, endure hardship for the sake of the kingdom. Endure it. It's going to come, Timothy, endure it. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at verse 1. It says this. 
This know that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men will be lovers of their own selves. Okay, that's pretty evident, right? I mean, how much more narcissistic can we get than when we take selfies? Hey, and I'm not an anti-selfie person, right? I mean, I tell my wife, I don't want a selfie. I don't want you taking a selfie with me. I look better at 100 yards. I don't look better, you know, at, at you know, 14 inches, right? Okay, but covetous. I, I want what you have. Boasters or proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, uh, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Well, it sounds like a, a list that could be in any generation, right? But that's not what he says. What does he say? Look at verse 1. What time is he talking about this is happening? Yeah, he says, perilous times shall come in the last days. These are last days stuff. Now, here's how you really know it's happening. Those people that he just said and all those characteristics, look at verse uh, 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying denying the power thereof. And then here's the warning. Stay away from such people. So what happens? They claim to be religious. They claim to be godly. But all this stuff is going on in their life. And it says they have a form of godliness. They, you know, they, well, they're, aren't they Christians? Have you ever had that comment like somebody go, well, aren't they Christians? And here's what Paul's saying. Not if this is going on in their life. It invalidates what they're doing. Now, can, this, can, can you have a moment where you're like, you're proud? Absolutely. Can you have a moment when you're, you want something somebody else has? Absolutely. When these characteristics, and I think they kind of all go together as a good group, right? I mean, you know, it's hard to, you know, if you think about it, if I'm proud, I don't mind blaspheming God. If I'm proud, I don't mind being disobedient to my parents. If I'm proud, I don't mind being unthankful and unholy. You see how they, they kind of go together? Kind of fits, right? It's kind of the whole outfit. And it says, and what they're going to do is they're going to they're going to say, I'm a Christian. I don't know why you're condemning me, but they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. You see that? Denying the power thereof. And it says, then here's a warning. From such, turn away. In other words, don't associate with people who have that going on in their life and they say they're Christians. How about that? Well, what do I do? My, that's all my friends. Right? All my friends are that way. Look at verse 7. They're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So what do they love to do? What do these kind of Christians love to do? Let me help you. Ever learning. Right? They're ever learning. I just want to know more, 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 more. But I'm not going to let it flesh out in my life in real stuff. Remember what Paul said in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13? You can, you can, have, you can speak with the tongues of an, men and of angels, but if you have not love, what are you? Sounding brass, clanging cymbal. What good's it going to do you, right? And then it gives now, how would you like to be written up in the Bible? Right? And here it says here, Now, as Janus and Jambrius withstood Moses, 
So those who resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. I mean, is there anything worse than being having a bad day and getting rid of the Bible for being a, re a rebel? Oh, yeah, we've been reading about you for thousands of years. Hallelujah, right? Great. Um, but look what it says. I, I want you to see this because it's such a powerful thing. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, uh, which is love, patience. Persecutions, afflictions came to me also at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord has delivered me. I never thought I'd enjoy teaching on persecution. But you know what I see? I see the other side of glory in it. Can you see that? There's another side of glory in all of this that we miss sometimes. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't like any inconvenience in my life. Do you? I don't like trouble. I don't like difficulty. I don't like problems. I don't like anything. But I, I don't really have that choice. But if I can understand that in the midst of all of this, there's a glory that comes. We're going to have a, a guy from Israel here speak the first Sunday in December. And he is, uh, he's actually um, got a church there, and he talks about how he's been persecuted by everyone in Jerusalem, by the Jews, by the Muslims, by everybody, by the secularists. And, I mean, he's powerful. And this guy's spoken at the U.N., I mean, it, it's, it's, it's going to be powerful. It's going to be unique. When I heard his story, I'm going, oh, wow. And some friends of mine were over in Israel, and they said, you've got to have this guy. He's going to be in America, and, and he'll come by, and, you know, you don't have to pay any money to have him come. Just have him show up, and he'll speak. And I watched about three of his videos, and I go, oh, my gosh, this guy knows what it's all about. Oh, yeah, big time. You want to know now, don't you? Yeah. I, I think the big thing is like um, whenever they start to have a building, whenever they rent a building, they'll they'll break the lease with them. They'll drive them out. Uh, the government won't give them the same rights as they give other people. Um, you know, they have been uh, they've lost their jobs because they're Christians. Yeah, they're yeah because they're Christians. Yeah, because they're Christians. Yeah. You know, and you don't you don't think about it. You think about it's a you think of Israel being a pretty tolerant place, right? I mean, you've got 20% of the population of Jerusalem are Palestinians. There's a new guy, Victor just told me, if you've met Victor, he works with uh, Kufi. But he said there's, uh, there's a guy that was uh, really on the road to be a, a great Palestinian terrorist. And he decided he was going to go kind of infiltrate into Jerusalem, and he was going to kind of get with the Palestinians that were there, or residents of Jerusalem, and he was going to try to help them you know, kind of pull them in, and they were going to have like a group, and and uh, and they could just persecute, you know, the Jews and, and bring destruction to Jerusalem. And so every one of the Palestinians, he goes, hey, aren't you unhappy and all these, you know, with the with Israel and what they're doing here? He says, no, we love it. Oh, we got it so good. You want it good? You want it bad? Get out of here and go over to the Palest Palestinian side of things. He kept doing that. Every one of them kept saying how good Israel was to them, to the Palestinians. So guess what the guy does? He rejects all the terrorist stuff, and now what is he doing? Now he was in the process of converting to Judaism, okay? 
Anne has a very Jewish girlfriend that he planned on marrying. So he starts studying the Scripture. And as he's studying the Scripture, the Old Testament Scripture, guess what, they point, what the Old Testament Scripture points to? Christ. The guy got born again. Now, he, he doesn't know what to do with the girlfriend. Right? Because she's a Jew. And he says, I just got completed. And if you think about it, all we have to do is point people into the If we can get them in the Scriptures, we don't have to try to defend Christianity. Just get in the Scriptures because Jesus said, have you not read the Scriptures because they speak of me? The Old Testament, you don't even have to give them the New Testament. Get them in the Old Testament, get them reading it, and, and it says they speak of me. Isn't that powerful? I think it is, whether you agree with me or not. Okay, look at verse 12. How about this one? Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue in the things which you have learned. What are you going to do when things get rough? What if America gets worse than it is today in this whole thing? And I, it's likely, right? Okay. Look what it says. It says here, it gives you the formula. I mean, just mark this down. What do I do? It's getting worse. It says, continue the things that you have learned and seen and be assured of knowing of whom you have learned them and from a child that you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise into salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished with all good works. That's the word. What do, you, what do I do? Man, i got to stick in the Word of God. i got to stay to the game. i got to love Jesus. i gotta, I got to know the power of Scripture in my life. I got to know that stuff. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Is that okay in, in Timothy for just a little bit? Okay. Chapter 4. Don't you wish you'd have brought your Bibles tonight? Huh? Where's your Bible, right? Where's your Bible? Okay. What it says here? First, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And here's, the, here's what he says to Timothy. Preach the word. Preach the word. Is that only for preachers? No, you can preach the word, right? You can proclaim the word. Be, in, uh, be instant in season and out of season. In other words, fruit is going to produce itself in your life all the time. You don't have, to, you don't have seasons. Be in season, out of season, preach the word. Whether you feel like it, don't feel like it. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Now, why? Why would I do that? It's just going to get me in trouble. What's the answer? Verse 3, for the time will come when, when they will not endure sound doctrine. And after their own lust shall they heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. So what happens? I don't like the truth, so will you just tell me a nice little sermon that will make me feel good? Itching ears. I just, I don't, I don't want to endure sound doctrine. I just want my ears tickled. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned uh, unto fables. Just going to start believing fables. Just believe crazy stuff, right? But watch in all things, endure affliction, and do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of your ministry. 
you know, you can't hardly read a verse that doesn't talk about this, can you? Okay, how about this one? Verse 6. For now, for I am now ready to be offered and time of my departure is at hand. What's he talking about, an offering? What's going to happen to him? He's going to get killed, right? Hey, my time of my departure has come, but, but I got good news for you guys. Verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Well, why'd you do that? Well, verse 8 tells you, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all who also love his appearing. Wow. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas, now here was his buddy, Demas, another guy gets written up for eternity. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Have you ever, you ever had anybody ask you this question? You know, so-and-so used to be such a great Christian. Now they deny that they even knew God. Now they deny they're a Christian. Now they claim to be an atheist or an agnostic. Anybody ever had that conversation? I have it all the time. I have people all the time tell me that. All the time. And they want to know, how is that possible? And I said, well, there's only really one person who knows if you're saved. You know who that is? That's you. Deep down, Right? I can, you can, everyone in this room can say, I'm a Christian, but I can't know that. I can only believe that your word to me is true. Now, I can observe fruit in your life, and I can say, you give evidence of being a Christian. I've watched the manner of your life, and you have a conviction that comes when you do wrong, and you seem to have the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but ultimately, down deep, it's kind of like, this is a pretty personal deal, isn't it? Right? And so look at old Demas. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Who did we start studying about that did that? Lot's wife, right? Lot's wife. Um, and then look at this. What a sad commentary. Only Luke, verse 11, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable unto my ministry. Verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord will reward him according to his work. I'd like to be Alexander. Dude, Paul wrote you up. Sent this book across the entire, you know, you know, Holy Land and, and all into, into Greece and Rome and everywhere else. And, and Alexander, you did me much harm. And you know what? God's going to get you. Wow. I want you to think right now for a moment. Have you ever, th can you think of anybody in your life who did you wrong like Alexander or forsook Christ like Demas? And here's what we typically do. We typically say something like this. Well, you know, I know I'm not supposed to judge. and I know I'm not supposed to feel bad and, and about them and, and all of that. And we kind of go into this super soft Christian mindset, right? But you know what? The Bible is pretty strong, isn't it? I think we should have compassion and love and kindness toward people. But remember that God says, you know what? I mean, some people just aren't good people. They're just not good people, right? I don't mean that we're all sinners. I mean, some people are just not good people. And they have an evil intent. You know? I'm going to give you one, one more scripture. Can you turn over to Acts 20? Oh, we're really using the Bible tonight, aren't we? 
Acts chapter 20. Look at this. Wow, this is good. Paul is, um, is it, uh, he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church. And when they'd come to him, they said unto him, you know, for the very first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you in all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mine, with many tears and temptations which befell me, by, and lying in wait by the Jews, how I was kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, and have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks, repentance toward God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing what might befall me, save the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying, bonds and afflictions abide with me. You know, there's his word of prophecy. Everywhere you go, you're going to be persecuted. What would you do? I quit traveling. Amen? I'm not going, God. I mean, this is not the word I wanted from you. And it says here, I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of grace, verse 25, and now, behold, I know that all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Verse 27. I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. Now, here's, here's where I wanted to get to. And all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know that after my departure shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Okay? Also among your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. You see the attack? You're going to have people come in from the outside attack. You're going to have people rise up on the inside. You know why? Because we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle, guys. I mean, the battle that we're in makes Normandy look like child's play. At least you could see the enemy in Normandy. Right? You can't even see the enemy we're fighting. The enemy we're fighting doesn't die. Think about that. You can't kill the enemy that's coming up against you. You just have to contend until you die. Wow. I don't know about you, but when I, when I study this stuff, I, it's a good reminder. I don't want to teach on this all the time, but it's a great reminder that, you know what? God has put us in a situation to be warriors for him. And you know what, the, you, know what you gain? Somebody's eternal soul. Somebody's eternal soul. They're, they're saved because you have invested something in their life. You have changed the course of human history by what you do. Think about that. Let me, let me just say this, and I'll, I'll get your question here. Just kind of an interesting thing that's happening in our world today is that um, we, have, we have an epidemic in America for opiates, okay, painkillers. And the problem is that you can be on a painkiller, an opiate like Oxycontin, for example, and you can get off of that because the doctor says you don't need any more, but you can go out and buy a bag of heroin for $1.28. And, and, and society becomes mesmerized. Let me ask you something. When one person is delivered from that darkness, what kind of victory is that? It's huge, isn't it? Isn't that huge victory? Somebody's not a drug addict anymore? I mean, that's huge. 
How much bigger is when you deliver someone from the power of darkness and into the kingdom of light? Isn't that awesome? Okay, brother? That's it. Well, I'm glad you're here with us tonight, brother. Amen? Amen. Well, I think, and, and here's the thing I want to do. I want to, um, I was talking to this uh, this editor that I'm doing this book for, and it's, of course, you know, I'm, it's in my mind now. i am kind of got this lawlessness mindset because I, I wrote like four hours this morning. But um, I asked her at the end of the conversation, uh, the publisher actually, I said, what do you want to feel when you get done reading this book? She said, concerned hope. I thought that was such a good comment. I want to have concern, but I want to live in hope. There was a time, a lot of people don't know this, we kind of think of American history as like this, this beautiful, you know, wonderful string of, of advancement and loving God up until, you know, maybe recently, right? But at the time of the American Revolution, the situation in America was so deplorable that students were burning Bibles on American soil, that alcoholism had, has risen to, to a rate of somewhere around 40 to 50 percent, okay? And it looked like around that time there was not much hope. And then a nearly blind pastor, Presbyterian, who spoke in a monotone and read his notes they said, when you read the accounts, he read like this. You can imagine how bad the light was and how bad the eyeglasses were. He read like this. And he had a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Now, you're, sitting, you're thinking to yourself, you know, Phil, you've had some boring sermons, but that one sounds worse, right? So he reads this sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, in a monotone voice with his, with his book in his face trying to read what he said, and all of a sudden something happens. And it started what was called the first great awakening in America. And all of a sudden, what God did in just a few months, in a space of just a couple of years, undid all of that and poised our country to move forward the way it is today. The situation got deplorable again before the Civil War. And all of a sudden... You know, you've got, you've got crazy stuff going on. You've got people that are shooting people. You've got, um, you've got people that are just wanting money. They're taking land. They're doing all this kind of stuff. It was not a pleasant time in American history. And all of a sudden, down in Kentucky, somebody started preaching. And up in Ohio, somebody started preaching. Charles Finney and some of these other guys, they started preaching. And all of a sudden, guess what happened? The Second Great Awakening came. And all of a sudden, this great movement of God, this great evangelism began to come. Because you see, here's the thing. Sometimes when it's the darkest is when God gets ready to break forth. In our personal life, 
in our corporate life, in our national and international life. So the situation moves on. Churches grow. Things are happening. We go through a couple of wars. Uh, we come up through um, past World War II in America, right? And so things are, you know, you're kind of thinking, well, things are getting better. Wow, prosperity. Look what's happening. Everybody's getting a new car. Everybody's got a job. Things are good. And then comes the free speech movement. Then becomes the darkness and, the, and, and really just a lifestyle of, of indulgence comes, right, in the 60s. And then what happens? The Jesus movement comes. And all of a sudden, God comes through. And you could do it. I could tie that historically like that. And, and you know why I'm encouraged about what, what's happening in America today? It's because it's a lot like what's happened in America before. We could, we could go to other countries. The greatest revival that happened in the middle of America, in, in Latin America, happened in El Salvador. They're in civil war. Horrible time, right? Horrible time. Little country, six and a half million people. Think about that. Six and a half million people engaged in civil war for 14 years. They're not trying to win. They're just trying to bring destruction. But guess what God did in that country? And he didn't do it in any other Central American country. He didn't do it in Nicaragua or anyone. Guess what he did? One-third of El Salvador came to faith in Christ in those 14 years. Over 2 million people professed faith in Jesus Christ. Was it worth it? I, you know, on one hand, I'd go, no, but if it meant the conversion of 2 million people, let's put it in perspective. America has what, 350 million people? Okay? A third of those come to faith in Christ. How does that feel? I mean, I don't mean go to church. I mean 100-plus million people profess faith in Jesus Christ who previously denied Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do. That's why we pray. That's why we fast. That's why we do the stuff we do. Not because we see evidence of it every day, but because we know it's coming. That's concerned hope. I'm concerned about the nation, but guess what? I got hope. I got hope in a God that does great things. Amen? Amen? All right. Hey, you're looking as tired as I am and hungry as I am, so I'm going to pray. Is that okay? Or do you guys want me to go on for another hour? Because you know me, I'm like Chetty Kathy. I'm going to just go on all night. Um, but let's really, let's just really pray. Um, first of all, thank you for being here tonight, but let's just really pray that God uses us individually as a catalyst for the kingdom. Amen. Okay. Father, we come to you today, tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask you to pour into us a spirit of hope and of joy. And if we're persecuted, God, so be it, but we refuse to bow or bend to the world or the world system. We want to stand strong. We want to see revival, God. We want to see a movement of God in our midst that will go way beyond what you could ever we could ever imagine or think. And we pray your guidance and your wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I give you just an insider uh, prayers report, prayer report about the 21-day fasting? Okay. I am absolutely shocked at the people God is bringing into our midst to answer the prayer of the 21-day fast. I, when I say I'm shocked, I'm shocked. It, we should never get the people that are coming to the front door and going, we'd like to serve. I, I, I will tell you that a couple of them are some of the finest pastors I've ever seen in my life. I promise you. I mean, hold me at my witness. I'm telling you, it's amazing. 
And two of them, one of them is just powerful um, in worship, and one of them is just really powerful in, um, in just organizational stuff, and they both have this big heart for young adults. And they said, can we do that? Can we, can we do young adult ministry? And go, nah, I don't think so. I mean, I'm telling you, I am super stoked. So I just want you to be encouraged. That's a little insider information. I don't want to give you any more details. And, you know, and God has been working. We had them over at our house last night with their um, wife and, and fiance, and we were just absolutely spellbound by their heart for God and by the track record they have for God. And uh, both coming out of uh, really large situations and, and very successful situations. And so I'm excited. Is that okay? Is it okay I share a little bit with you? You feel like you got a little bit of a little insight in there? Go. Just go and say, hey, I know something you don't know on Sunday, right? I got to know something you don't know.